Hey, welcome to Access. John here. I felt convicted to issue out a message to all who are listening to these podcasts from home uh, that if you're not a part of Rungi First Baptist Church, that I am not your pastor and that these messages are designed to be a supplement to your daily walk with God, not a substitution for the church. I strongly encourage you to stay in fellowship with other believers through the local church. And if you're a part of Rungi FBC, then we can't wait to see you when you return. If you're ready to begin today's study, then turn to John chapter 18, verses 12 through 27, because this message is entitled, Destined to Fail. Do you believe that a person's destiny is already determined? Or do you believe that a person's future is decided by whatever he or she chooses to do with his or her life? Over the years of being a pastor, I have learned that it's better to stay impartial about some things so that I can fulfill the role of being a mediator and a peacemaker. And yes, I admit, I've kind of fallen out of that. I need to get back towards that, uh, especially during business meetings. However, on this issue, I can say that I believe a person's life is preordained and predestined. And I believe that's what Scripture teaches. Now, I know that flies in the face and is in sharp contrast to what some of our most gifted thinkers and philosophers and motivational speakers and authors might tell us. For example, William Shakespeare once said, It is not the stars to hold our destiny, but in ourselves. Tony Robbins once said, It is in your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped. And of course, Swami uh, Vivekanan, I can't say that guy's name, He says, you are the creator of your destiny. Now, it makes sense why this is a popular belief because we don't want a bunch of freeloaders and lazy people thinking that it doesn't really matter what they do. We need to tell them that they need to get out there and make a life for themselves. Nobody is going to live their life for them. And it's also important to note that thinking positively is critical when making the right decisions and and, and attaining a healthy outlook on our lives. So the last thing that we need is is someone telling us that we should resign into apathy and that everything is planned out when it comes to making decisions. Or to entertain this idea that if we don't make decisions, that everything's going to work out. Because honestly, indecision is a decision. Okay, That's not a good decision either. But questioning whether our destiny is set falls really into a theological debate that's been had for centuries. The destiny debate is better known as predestination versus free will. And while I consider myself in the predestination camp, I can tell you that whatever side of the fence you stand on, or whether you even care, I don't know if you even care, this debate has really has nothing to do with whether or not you're truly saved. We can't throw this to somebody and say, well, if you don't believe what I believe about predestination, then you're not a child of God, and you don't believe the Bible. Maybe God hasn't revealed that to them yet. So with that being said, I still believe It is a very important discussion to have, and I want to have it with you because, in a debate, with some, in in our debate, excuse me, in our debate, other questions seem to arise, like, well, how much control do I really have, and how many of my decisions really matter, and and does God have everything planned from start to finish? It's important to not only ask these questions, but to turn to the Bible in search of our answers, you know, for answers for these things, because Jesus said in John chapter 17, Father, your word is truth. So we should believe, as Jesus said, that God's word is truth. And also that the world will give us conflicting arguments that clash with Scripture. And if Scripture is true and something contradicts it, well, what what should that tell us? 
that those things aren't true. Now, to give you some reference on why I believe in predestination, God said in Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, Remember the former things of long past, for I am God and there is no other. For I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Now, I've heard it argued before that that we don't find any concept of free will. While you don't see the words that I've heard it argued, well, you don't see free will in the Bible anywhere. Well, I would like to disagree. We, we do see the concept of free will in the Bible. It's just that God is the only one who truly has it, right? God had the end planned from the beginning, and he knows when we sit and when we rise, and if we are in him, he uses all things for our good and for his glory. Yes, he's extremely capable of taking our worst mistakes and turning it into the biggest grace, but, or I should say, in addition to, God is the one who's calling the shots. God is sovereign. Now, I believe uh, these verses, for example, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, and Romans 8, 29, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, and those are called according to his purpose. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. It's Romans 8, 28, and 29. Now, I believe these verses are clear indicators that God is in control and that he shapes our destiny. That our destiny does not belong to us because we didn't create ourselves. Now, probably the greatest case in point is the text that we will study today. For Jesus told Simon Peter ahead of time of his upcoming denial that you will deny me three times. Now, keep in mind, he told him ahead of time not to shame him. But he says in John 13, 19, from now on, I'm telling you before it comes to pass so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Jesus told Simon Peter that he would deny him three times before the rooster crows. But he did this to show Simon Peter, I'm God. And I, what I say is going to happen, it's going to happen. Simon Peter knew this was coming in advance, and yet he couldn't change it. We see in Mark 14, 30-31 that Peter, even after knowing it's coming, being alerted to it, he continues to argue with God himself. And he protests. He says, Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And the others were saying the same thing after uh, the same thing also. That's what it says in Mark chapter 14, verses 13 through 31. So uh, Peter, he refused to believe that it would be possible for him to deny Christ. And if it were true, he would have done anything to stop it from happening. However, as he later learns, as we need to, when God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And while that news can sometimes be very troubling, There is also a great comfort that can be found in it. And I want to show you how. Or I want to talk about it. Hopefully God will show you how. Let's read uh, John chapter 18, verses 12 uh, through 27. And and, and hopefully we'll see um, God's hand in this. So it says, So the Roman cohort and the commander of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. 
and led him to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. And Simon Peter, who was following Jesus, and so was another disciple, now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not one of these man's disciples, this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there having made a charcoal fire for it was cold and they were warming themselves, and Peter was with them also, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I, I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temples where all the Jews come together, and I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them, and they know what I said. And when he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to, them, said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. And one of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose, Peter, Peter, whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you now and we study your word, I pray, God, that your word would have its way with us. That it is through studying your word that we come alive. It is through your word that you enable us to see you for who you truly are. It's not what the world tells us. It's what you tell us through scripture. And so God, I just ask that right now you would work on our hearts. You would help us to see your sovereignty in this message. You would help us to see how good you are. And Father, that you would use me to speak this message. I am eternally grateful. Just getting to associate myself with you. Father, we all know that the Holy Spirit is the one that enables us to do these things. And so, Father, I just pray that you get all the glory for this message and that you might use it to bring those standing outside closer to you. We love you, Father, and all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we talked about how quite possibly a thousand soldiers came to arrest Jesus. And, and if you remember from an earlier study, there is a reason why these men took Jesus to Annas first and not Caiaphas. Now, as we see in verse 13, Annas was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. And in Jewish culture, the position of the high priest was much like a position in the Supreme Court today, the U.S. Supreme Court. Once a person is elected to that position, they hold it for their entire lives until they either retire or they die. For example, Moses wasn't repeatedly replaced by people. 
It didn't have a rotation of people. It, it was it was him until uh, he died, and then Joshua became the new high priest. He, he, he passed that mantle over to Joshua, and the Bible says that the Lord took him. So here we see Annas is still alive, and yet Caiaphas is the high priest. Why is that? It's because Rome deposed Annas, believing that it was much better for leadership to change every few years, lest their leader gain too much power and prestige, that the people look to them instead of to Rome. So the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers took Jesus to Annas because the Jews still saw Annas as the true high priest. Rome can't depose our high priest. This is really the guy. But if you wanted to get anything done, well, then you had to go through Caiaphas. In verse 14, we see another example of the sovereignty of God in that John reminds his readers that Caiaphas was the one who accidentally prophesied that Jesus would die so that many people could be saved. That is so funny how God works sometimes that only God could take someone who hates him and use them to do his will, that they would testify that Jesus would die for many people so that they might be saved. It's incredible. God is able to do that. But then again, that's the sovereignty of God. You, if he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And he'll use you to do it, even if you don't want him to. It's incredible. Before we get into the kangaroo court courtroom scene, John does take a break from the action at this point, And he pays special attention to Simon Peter again. Simon Peter, and it says another disciple, followed Jesus to the place where Annas questions him. And here we learn something pretty interesting about the other disciple. Remember, our author John removes himself from the story. He'll name anybody else except for himself, and he does that out of humility that this story is not about him. It's about the Son of God and what he does while he's on earth. And he and he carves and he molds in the story of Simon Peter into Jesus' beautiful redemption story. And so this is just an excellent passage where John is doing something here incredible. But he doesn't name himself. Uh, what he does say is he's, he's the other disciple. And he says this other disciple is known to the high priest. And what we saw in the early part of John is that the author John used to be a disciple of John the Baptist before he came to be Jesus' disciple. We don't know much more about him other than that. But according to these verses, he was known to the high priest which means that he was likely a member of the Sanhedrin before he entered into John's John the Baptist's company. And that could mean that he was standing around when John the Baptist was questioned by the chief priests and Pharisees in John chapter 1 as to what authority he was preaching and baptizing. Maybe he was one of the ones that came and questioned him. And John the Baptist's answer could have possibly stirred the Apostle John's heart, which led to staying behind instead of going back with the chief priests and Pharisees. And again, this is all speculation or wallerism, if you will. I just think it's interesting that he's known by the high priest. How? I find it interesting that John was not able, not only known by the high priest, but he was able to vouch for Simon Peter in order that he might come into the proceeding of Jesus' trial. So obviously, he's got some pull around here. Except after vouching for him, Simon Peter enters the place uh, where Jesus was being questioned, and instead of going right to Jesus, a little girl is keeping the door, asks Peter a question, and notice how this question is worded. Now, I'm going to have to take some religious liberties here. I just think this is very interesting regarding how this question was put to Simon Peter every single time. She says to him, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? She could have said, hey, you're one of this guy's disciples, right? But she didn't say that. She says, you're not also one of his disciples. I think the way the question is worded, it gives Peter an out just right off the beginning, right off the bat, and it happens all three times. I just think that's interesting. 
whatever the reason, Simon Peter takes the out every single time. I am not. Nope, not me. That's not me. I don't know him. Now, keep in mind that Jesus told Simon Peter within the next few hours. You're, you're, right now, I hear what you're saying. You're going to follow me to prison or death. But within the next few hours, you will deny me three times. This is before you're going to go to sleep, okay? Even after he refused to believe it, he argued with Jesus. It never come out of his mouth. And yet we see him doing exactly what Jesus said. I mean, this is chilling. Because God says it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You know, if God told you you were going to die in a car accident, wouldn't you just not get in a car? No, you'd get in a car because God said you were going to die in a car accident. I mean, it's just incredible when God says it's going to happen. Our, quote, free will can't stop it. It's because free will doesn't exist. All you have is the sovereignty of God and those who have freedom under his umbrella of sovereignty. And that's a very different thing. Not only that, but instead of standing next to Christ during his trial, John pays special emphasis in verse 18 as to where Simon Peter goes. Simon Peter goes and warms his hands by the enemy's fire. Now, guys, let me just let me just be completely honest. I might lose it during this message. And nobody wants to hear a grown man cry, and I totally get that. So if that happens to me, I just want to say I'm sorry in advance, but I also want to explain why. I see so much of myself in Simon Peter. Especially when he goes and he warms himself by the enemy's fire. Because so many times I have thought that I would be safer and happier keeping my distance away from Christ. And as I kept my distance from him, I only found that it was more cold and bitter over by the enemy's fire than being condemned in Jesus' company. Because this world promises fulfillments away from Christ. And that just isn't the case. Simon Peter, at this time in his life, he was being sifted like wheat. And his heart was hypothetically being torn out of his chest. Because in his heart of hearts, he talks about how that's the last thing that he wanted to do was to deny Jesus. He wanted to be over there vouching for him. I'll go with you to prison or death. So much so that he would argue with Jesus when Jesus said, no, you're going to deny me. No, never. But because he lacked the power of the Holy Spirit at this point, He was unable to overcome his brokenness. And instead, he stood at a distance, warming his hands. John cuts back to the kangaroo courtroom scene in in verse 19. He says, now why do I keep calling a kangaroo court, you might be wondering. Why do I say that? Well, it's because they aren't doing things in a legal way according to Jewish custom. To issue out justice in in a Jewish trial, the trial had to be set in the daytime, and we see them doing this at night, number one. But we also, what we've learned from Jewish law is that uh, somebody who's being uh, accused, they would never speak for themselves. Instead, it would be a twofold process for these Jewish trials. First, the accused would have to come uh, forward, uh, sorry, the accused would have people come forward and testify on their behalf. So these people would come and they would testify their integrity. No, no, no way. There's no way they could have done that. 
They could have possibly committed this crime. So that's the first first part of that. The second part of that is that the people who witnessed him do that, witnessed him commit the crime, they would come forward. And then finally, judgment would be issued. The accused would never have been asked to answer for himself. Yet we see Annas asking Jesus to speak for himself in these verses. Jesus says in verse 20, I have spoken openly to the world. And I always taught that in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together, I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them, for they know what I said. So Jesus wasn't being disrespectful here. He was charging Annas to return to a lawful order of the court. Stop stop breaking protocol here, Annas. Ask those whom could testify on my behalf. So why was Annas questioning Jesus himself? Was it because he was really frustrated with Jesus about condemning his lucrative business in the temple when he turned over the tables and cast out the money changers on two separate occasions? Perhaps. Annas was the one that was in charge of that. It was his wallet that was getting hurt. So maybe. Could it have been that Jesus never seemed to have nice things to say about the religious leaders and he seemed to be dividing their influence with the people? Perhaps. But here's something to think about. Could it have been because no one was willing to testify on Jesus' behalf? I realize this is a wallerism. This is an interesting theory, but think about it. It could explain why Simon Peter was asked so many times whether or not he was a disciple of Christ. Perhaps they wanted Simon Peter to come and testify as to Christ's integrity, yet he refused to involve himself further, heaping on the guilt and shame. Regardless, Jesus' response to Annas was not well received, and one of his officers struck Jesus saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Well, for starters, he's not the high priest. Caiaphas is. Secondly, do you know who you just struck? It's amazing to me the resolve and temperance of Christ. How could he have called down, you know, how could he stood there and taken this, this, this abuse when he could have called down 12 legions of angels at any moment to deliver him and destroy the planet, yet he took this man's slap and responded, if I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong, but if rightly, why do you strike me? Just incredible, the resolve of Christ. Yet again, Jesus called for a return to the legal order of proceedings. But again, he was ignored by these men, which proves that what they did was not only immoral, it was highly illegal. These law keepers, forever recorded in Scripture as breaking the law. But you didn't see that one coming. But God did. In verse 24, we see a subtle reminder of Abraham when God commanded him to sacrifice his son Isaac upon the altar. It says in verse 24, Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. You see, just as we read earlier, God proclaimed the end from the beginning. From ancient times, he decides things that are going to be done. And then from the ancient story of Abraham and Isaac, God commanded that he should take his son and sacrifice him. But before he does, he is commanded to bound him hand and foot, to bind him hand and foot, excuse me, and place him upon the altar. 
And here we see Jesus bound, taken to Caiaphas. Guys, God had this moment planned from the creation of the world, and I hope you see that, that no one could have stopped it from happening. That these men condemned themselves, and God not only foreknew it, he foretold it. And in verse 25, John shifts back to Simon Peter here. Once again, we see Simon Peter. He's asked if he was not one of Jesus' disciples, in which he denied it both times. I just think that's intriguing. It's interesting. He's given it out. He takes it. However, the book of John doesn't really draw out the emotion of Simon Peter in these denials. You see, in the book of Matthew, Simon Peter, he denies Jesus the second time with an oath. I give my oath. I do not know this man. And the third time, he begins to curse and swear. And John tells us immediately after this third denial, the rooster crows. Now, I don't know if there's ever been a noise that has irritated you. For example, I cannot stand the sound of nails on a chalkboard. I hate it. I hate it. For others, it's the sound of a crying baby. Some people can't stand the sound of screeching tires. Maybe people don't like standing in a large crowd. It, if you have a noise that sets you off, is it the noise or more the painful memories that are attached to those noises, those noises, those sounds that bother you? For example, if someone was able to walk away from a terrible car accident, screeching tires might give them extreme anxiety because when they hear it, that sound, it usually means that pain will follow. So they, they, they don't like the sound of screeching tires. It just gives them this extreme anxiety. For Simon Peter, I can only imagine the anxiety that he must have felt every time he heard a rooster crow. Every single morning for the rest of his life, when the stupid animal gets up and he announces to the world, the work day is beginning, Simon Peter could have heard that rooster crow and simply been reminded about how he failed Christ. Talk about a painful sound. You know, this is a terrible place to break our study. I, I know. It's terrible because there's so much beauty in what God is about to do. I mean, what he does is just so awesome. Not only in, in Christ, but in the life of Simon Peter. What he does, there's so much healing that's about to take place in him. And it's just absolutely beautiful. But instead of getting to those things, we have to save them from another day. And I don't want to end here. We have to do it out of necessity. So let me just give you some encouragement in this passage and about the things that are to come because I know this is kind of grim where we end. If I can think of any encouragement from this passage of Scripture, it's in this. Whatever God says happens every single time. Yes, Jesus told Simon Peter that he would betray him, and yes, he did. But Jesus also foretold of Peter's return. In Luke 22, 31-32, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission. I love that. Demanded permission. <laughs> you don't get it. You have to demand permission. So he's demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. That right there is incredible. I have prayed for you. Perhaps that's why he does what he's about to say. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you... When once you have turned again, when once you have returned, strengthen your brothers. See, Jesus told Peter that he would deny him, but he also told Peter that he would return after his denial. 
after his betrayal, and that's exactly what happened. Simon Peter learned a very valuable lesson about God that day. God said it was going to happen, and everything he did to try to stop it couldn't stop God. Because everything God says will happen will come true. Nothing you can do to fight it. There's nothing you can do to contribute it. God's will will be done in God's time. And this can be an incredible source of comfort for us because there are other things that God has said will take place, but many scoffers and, and, and chastisers and critics will come and they will refuse to believe that it's actually going to happen, for example, or that it happened. For example, many people criticize followers of Christ for believing in the Bible. How can you believe in a literal six-day creation? I mean, why don't you believe that the world is 6 billion, 6, 4.6 billion years old as science tells us, scientists theoretical scientists tell us, by the way, that that, how could you believe, though, that the earth is only 6,000 years old? Just because it says, you know, the the lineage of of the people in the Bible, and that only equals up to 6,000 years old, that's a little ridiculous, don't you think? I mean, do you really believe that Jesus is real? That that not only was he real, but that he died and he came back to life? I mean, it's just incredible. You believe he was born of a virgin? Do you believe that he's coming again? I mean, you're so stupid. I'm going to read you something the Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, Apostle Peter said many years after Jesus healed him inside and out. 2 Peter 3.3, he says, First of all, know this, that in those last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? He goes on to say in verse 9, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. But is patient towards you, not wishing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You see, Simon Peter was testifying that when Jesus says he's coming back, Jesus is coming back. Take that to the bank. Jesus testified that I would deny it, and I didn't believe it. I did everything I could to stop it, but he was absolutely right. He said I would come back to him and love the brethren, and that came true too, because that's exactly what happened. He said we would receive the Holy Spirit, and we did. And he said he's coming back for us, and he will. This is such a beautiful passage about the promises of God, that he keeps his promises. But maybe that's not what, what, what's bothering you today. Maybe what bothers you is that when we start talking about how God is in control of your destiny, maybe, that's, maybe you're thinking to yourself, I'm not a puppet. Of course you're not a puppet. You're his child. You're his creation. Well, has God decreed that I would have chicken or beef today? Because what if I refuse to eat? How much of what I decide actually matters? Listen, all of it matters. This is a hard pill to swallow, to be sure. I know it. I've had difficulty getting this down myself. But the last thing that God wants for us is to resign to apathy in his sovereignty. We are commanded to do what he has called forth for us to do. Why should I put forth effort when he's planned everything out? He's, he's commanded us to. He's commanded us to take the gospel to the four corners of the earth. He's commanded us to keep his commandments. And he's told us that if we love him, we will. Your life matters. Your choices matter. 
It's only coming from outside of, the, of, of Scripture, outside of God, that people are telling you that your life doesn't matter. You came from an ape and your life is meaningless. You're going to go into the ground and it's not going to mean anything. Your life matters. Your decisions matter. But that does not mean that your destiny is in your control. Whether you choose chicken or beef today, none of those choices are outside the realm of God's sovereignty. And this is a difficult subject to be sure. And to be truthful, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, discussing it with others, and I still get confused by it sometimes. I'll be honest. But here's the difference between you and me if you're still struggling with it. I don't understand all the intricacies any more than you do. I have a lot of questions just like you. I simply have a peace about it. I have a peace knowing that God is good and that everything he works for my good because I love him and I've been called according to his purpose. I know that I love him because he first loved me. Let me ask you a question. And I, and I, I understand this is kind of mean and it's kind of offensive, but just think about it, okay? What bothers you more? If this is bothering you, what bothers you more? Is it that God has every detail planned? Everything, including your life, planned out start to finish? Or is it that your life isn't all about you? Is it that you're not God? Now, much of the time we fight against God because He doesn't do things the way that we want Him to. But here is the gospel truth. We can trust that He is not only sovereign, whether we accept it or not, that what he says will come to pass will come to pass. We can only trust he's sovereign, but that also he loves us and he is out for our good. And plus, from reading scripture, there's only a very general understanding of what God's going to do in the church. It's not a secret he's coming back. It's not a secret he's going to establish a new heaven and new earth. We're going to be with him forever. However, what God has planned for your life independently it still remains a mystery. The group of us are going to get to be with him. But in the meantime, Scripture doesn't tell us what he's got planned for your life. That's why you need a relationship with God. Because he wants to interact with you. It's an incredible adventure and excitement to be had discovering what God has planned for you. Just don't make the mistake of thinking that your life is better over by the enemy's fire because you refuse to accept his sovereignty. Sooner we come to this understanding that, that life condemned and hating with Christ is far greater than a life in the enemy's camp, the happier we are going to be surrendering to the sovereignty of God. We can know and trust that when God says it, it's true. And guess what? God tells us in Scripture, He loves you. Once we have received the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, Peter at this time in Scripture didn't have. We are enabled to do the very last thing Peter ever says in Scripture. He says in 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. 
Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.